0: This morning's scripture reading comes from Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another,
1: Good morning, Grace DC Network family. This is Pastor Joel from Grace Mosaic, and I greet you today on the day of Pentecost. This is one of the highest and most important days of the Christian year. As often said, there are three big festivals in the Christian year. There is Christmas, there is Easter, and there is Pentecost. Pentecost. But we all know the first two of these, Christmas and Easter, get all the love from us. And this third one of Pentecost is often overshadowed. The work of the Holy Spirit, the importance of the Holy Spirit is often overshadowed. But we take this day to celebrate. The birth of the Christian church, the beginning of the global movement of women and men, boys and girls who follow Jesus, who proclaim God's kingdom come, God's will be done, who are given gifts of the Holy Spirit. We remember that Jesus, who had ascended to his father that we celebrated 10 days ago on Ascension Day, Jesus was faithful to his promise that he gave his early followers and friends when he said, at the end of Luke's gospel, behold, I am sending the promise of my Father, meaning the Holy Spirit, upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high, clothed with power from on high. The title for this Pentecostal message I bring to you today is The Makeover, The Makeover. There's been a lot of commercial success in film and television shows on the concept of a makeover. Taking something or someone that is a mess and restoring it or them to a place of beauty. You might have a variety of shows, of movies running through your minds right now. It is so common that it's ubiquitous. Shows like uh, What Not to Wear or one that I grew up with when I was a kid, Extreme Home Makeover. See, these shows are are very formulaic. They always start out with surveying the problems of the thing needed to be renovated and restored, and then comes onto the scene the show's restorers. That could be a designer, that could be an architect, who who come on and the the music's a little wonky, and they say, wow, what a mess we are dealing with here. We, We got a lot of work to do with this mess. One such story I grew up with was the movie, I don't know if you know it, The Mighty Ducks. And The Mighty Ducks, a washed-up former amazing hockey player named Gordon Bombay, he gets a DUI, and the judge orders him in court for his community service that he has to go coach a little league hockey team. And of course, he gets paired up with the worst team in the league. The team is a mess. They can't win. They can't even, they don't even know how to play hockey. They don't have the right equipment. Uh, They have these lame uniforms and this lame mascot. But he uses his expertise and his connections, his powerful connections to teach this team how to actually play hockey. And at one powerful point in the movie that I always remember, they get sponsored by a wealthy donor and they get these boxes in the locker room and they open them up and they're these brand new, beautiful black uniforms with a powerful white Mighty duck symbol and they get rebranded as the Mighty Ducks. Or take that metaphor to a different sphere. My wife's co-worker and friend recently found a plant, a kind of succulent plant that had been thrown out in the alley behind her house and that that neighbor, whoever threw it out, had given up on the plant. It was nearly dead and shriveled and tiny. Well, Melissa's friend nursed that plant back to life and then gave it as a gift to her. Now it sits in my wife's magnificent indoor plant room, one of my favorite rooms in all of rooms, and that little plant is bursting now. It's big and it's full of life and fruitfulness. What once was shriveled, fruitless, nearly dead is now producing beautiful fruit. These stories of restoration are so common and they're so successful because they hook us. They hook us because we all long for restoration. We love to see that restoration is possible in someone else's story because maybe it, maybe it means that restoration is possible in our own lives. Because deep inside, we all know that we need to be restored and renewed. We need newness of life. Brothers and sisters, family, as we begin the slow crawl out of this pandemic together, I know that many of you within the sound of my voice are feeling a deep need for restoration and renewal. I know that many of you are tried and tired. Whether you're tired of of the loneliness and the isolation of this time, or, or whether you're tired of just not having any space to even get a breath, whether you're tired of the endless drumbeat of, quote, be productive, even when producing or creating is the last thing you feel you have energy to do. The truth is, some of you have found yourself now in a spiritual and emotional desert after these last 14 months. Where are those places in your life where you know you need restoration, where you know you need renewal? Name those places On this Pentecost Sunday, family, I've got a word for you. I've got good news for you today because Pentecost says that we serve a God of restoration. Pentecost says that we serve a God who breathes new life into dry bones from the book of Ezekiel. Pentecost says that we serve a God who hasn't given up on you, who hasn't given up on us, who hasn't given up on his church, who hasn't given up on his entire creation, but is determined again to renew, meaning to make things new again. Think about those areas of your life where you long for renewal. This work of restoration and renewal is at the heart of who the Holy Spirit is. We say it all the time around here. Men and women, boys and girls, we are all made in the image of God. God is the divine artist and humanity is his masterpiece. But we mess things up. We became a mess. The masterpiece was marred. Sin, shame, evil, oppression, injustice, you name it, we got it. We were like shriveled, fruitless plants, but God. God did something on Pentecost, and in the power of the Spirit, those who were a mess are themselves commissioned with the task and calling of becoming restorers, making new beauty, bearing new fruit in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that brings me to, finally, to our passage of Scripture today the third chapter of the book of Titus. This letter, this scripture, was originally read to an early group of Jesus followers on the isolated island of Crete, a young network of Christian congregations that the spiritual father, the elder Paul, had sent his younger spiritual son, Timothy. He had sent him there to form and shape and lead these communities. And this book of Titus is Paul's instruction, uh, this book is Paul's instruction to Titus on how to form these young Christian communities into the way of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. So I just want to walk briefly through this Pentecostal passage today by looking at two things from that narrative, the mess and the makeover. The mess and the makeover. We ourselves were once foolish, Paul writes, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. My Lord, (laughs) my Lord. If you read the book of Titus, you'd figure out quickly that the Cretans were a mess. The leaders of their churches had misled them in significant ways. There's theological errors. There's ethical errors. And Paul is sending some correction their way, as is often happening in Paul's letters. And what's, but what's interesting here is that Paul, the spiritual father of this community, the spiritual father of Titus, says that we ourselves were once foolish. Not you were once foolish, you Cretans. Paul is numbering himself along with the credence, even though he's mature in the faith. He's seasoned in the way of Jesus, but they are new and immature. He's numbering himself as a part of the group of people who were helpless and hopeless aside from God's mercy. Because a constant temptation for us as human beings is always to number ourselves among the favorable group of people and see others out there as those who really needed the mercy or who really need the mercy continually. Never forget this little word here because it's important. Don't gloss over it. We ourselves. We ourselves. And listen to these qualities that are listed out here. Foolish. Meaning we didn't know right from wrong. We were ignorant to the way of wisdom, the way of love, the way of justice. We didn't know what we didn't know. Disobedient. Meaning we actually often did know the right way to go but we chose the other way for our own reasons, for our own power, for our own pleasure, for how it would be to our advantage. Led astray, Paul says. Other people misled us, or maybe we allowed other people to mislead us into evil. We didn't have guides who actually knew the way towards true life and true flourishing. Slaves to various passions and pleasures. We were so controlled by our appetites, be they for money, be they for violence and rage, for sexual pleasure, for comfort. Our appetites made us serve them instead of us being free to say no. See, many people conceptualize freedom today as doing what you want to do. And of course, there's an aspect of truth in that in situations of control or coercion or oppression But only when thinking about human desires, it's more nuanced than that. Because often, what we want or desire in life isn't the same as what we ought to do or what we need to do for our flourishing, for the good of us. Listen to this, friends. In the way of Jesus, true freedom is having the ability to do what we ought to do, to do what we need to do, and not just what our passions would have us to do. That is freedom. Paul says, passing our days in malice and in envy. Meaning habitually, our style of life was such that we only thought of other people with either a vicious or mean-spirited attitude or we were constantly comparing ourselves to other people and envious of all that they had and thinking about all that we didn't have. Hated by others and hating one another. Chaos. Bitterness, strife, enmity, violence. Does that sound familiar, friends? Does Titus 3 verse 3 sound familiar to you? Because it's the human story from Genesis 3 until now. Foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to passions and pleasures, malicious, envious, hateful. You can run all of life and all of the problems that we face as a society, as a world, and in your own life through the grid of one of these categories of human sin. It's a pretty damning and totalizing list. This list, listen friends, this list, this human condition is the backdrop that you ought to view Pentecost and the work of the Holy Spirit up against. Humanity was, and humanity is, a mess. If we played out that popular narrative of the makeover shows against this backdrop, the character of the restorer would come on the scene, view the human condition, and say, Wow, what a mess we are dealing with here. We got a lot of work to do. And that is when the makeover comes, friend. That is when God, the restorer, God, the Holy Spirit, the creator and recreator, comes on the scene. Paul sings it out in joy. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration And renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, he's not done, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. As I've thought about Pentecost this year, in light of this passage, perhaps there is no clearer image in the Bible for how and what way God actually saves his people. Because listen, think back to that day of Pentecost. Jesus had told his followers to go to a room and wait. Go in a room and wait for the powerful, regenerating, renewing work of the Holy Spirit in their lives and in their community of this early church. Pentecost had nothing to do with human effort. It was a helpless group of people visited from on high with the power of God. I think that's the image of Pentecost that is in our passage. It was up to the goodness and loving kindness. That's the, When you hear loving kindness, hear the faithful covenant promise-keeping love of God. According to God's own, own mercy, he sent the Holy Spirit to wash, to bring new birth and renew us. He did this through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been made right with God, we might take our place as members of an eternal family, a family of love, a family of true life, of fruitful life. What does the grace of God mean? Look at Pentecost. Whoosh! The wind of God comes out of nowhere and breathes power and life into the church. Free forgiveness, free mercy, free power. That is God's economy. You didn't pay into it, but you are going to pay out of it. You're going to share the family inheritance, Cretans. You are going to bear fruit that comes from being planted in the rich, nutrient-filled soil of triune love. See, friends, the makeover of Pentecost does not stop with, quote, you're forgiven. If you notice in this passage, there is a lot of talk. If you go back to Titus 3, there is so much talk of good works, fruitfulness. We have so often struggled, at least in our church context, to understand the relationship of God's grace to our efforts, our devotion, our work in this world, because we have conceptualized the gospel of Jesus Christ and the reality of the kingdom as, quote, mere forgiveness of sins. But that is not the end of it. Because if the Holy Spirit descended upon the body of a dead Jesus and raised him up to new resurrected life, the scripture says, so also does the Spirit descend upon us and raise us up to new resurrected life, renewed life, fruitful life. The Spirit is out to restore all of creation, including us. God is not done with you. Taking us from foolishness to wisdom. Taking us from disobedience to obedience guiding us in the Spirit's way towards life and towards guides who actually know where they're going, taking away our maliciousness and our envy and filling us instead with gentleness, with humility, and with sacrificial generosity, taking away our hatred and filling us with divine love. Do you see the makeover of Pentecost? That's why the rest of the passage is all about good works. And when you hear good works, friends, just think fruit. Just think life as it's meant to be. Just think shalom. Paul says the saying is trustworthy, meaning everything I've said to you is true. And I want you, Titus, to insist on these things. So that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Actual good works that help people in need. Not the supposed good works of the religious who sit around in their lofty places all day deb- debating about foolish controversies, Paul says, and minutiae debate over theology. Jesus is more interested in the fruit we are bearing than about how right our subpoints of systematic theology are. Many people can articulate the Christian faith, but far fewer can actually live that Christian faith out. Have mercy on us, God. Paul knows this, and it's why he's steering the community back to the essentials. Right at the end of this passage, almost the last verse of the whole entire letter, what does Paul say? Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Because here's what was happening. People in the communities of the churches are taking the Christians off mission by constantly having debates and causing divisions. And Paul says, in effect, we don't have time for that. We have cases of urgent need. We have fruit to bear. That is a Pentecostal word for us today. The spirit propels us to be on mission with the risen Jesus and not get distracted by those who constantly want to cause argument and division in the church. Paul says they're warped, they're self-condemned, and the best gift that you can give people like that is the gift of silence. Let them have their own arguments with themselves. You stay pointed towards the essential things. Where is your fruit? Because that work that began in the church on Pentecost has never stopped. Pentecost came with a flood of power and presence that has never been contained, like a flood across the earth. And no matter what scheme human beings have devised to stop the torrent of the the Spirit's power from flowing across the face of the earth, they cannot. From that astounding Pentecost day in Jerusalem until today, the Spirit flows across all sorts of cultural, ethnic, denominational, historical barriers, even despite those from within the church or without who seek to quench the Spirit's power. The Spirit liberates us as the people of God, brings us into the communion of love that's always existed between the Father and the Son. The Spirit anoints the people of God as the Spirit anointed Jesus to proclaim good news to the poor, proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Friends, This is the season to absorb more fully our Pentecostal identity, our rebranded uniforms, as it were. Maybe that call to good works, though, feels overwhelming for you. As I said at the beginning of the sermon, you're tired. You feel dry. You feel tried. Maybe you feel lost and confused. You need to hear, friends, that rest... And renewal is a work we are called to. Gentleness with ourselves and with others is a beautiful work that we are called to. Because even, or maybe especially in the moments of rest, the spirit is bearing fruit in your life. The field might need to lie fallow for a season to prepare it for the beautiful harvest next year. Many of you need to find time in your life to incorporate rest every day. Or a special time of rest. Because as, as my favorite Hezekiah Walker song says, the race is not given to the swift nor strong. Victory belongs to those who keep on moving on. And if you're going to keep on bearing fruit, you have to incorporate Sabbath and rest into your life. And some of you need that right now. But also it is our job as ministers of Jesus and as pastors, as, as Paul says in this letter, to keep stirring you up back to the essential truths of Pentecost, that the Holy Spirit has come to cause us to bear fruit for a hungry world. Sometimes literally feeding our neighbors to look for need, material need, physical need, economic need, spiritual need, health need, to look for those needs and meet those needs and to not grow weary in doing that, to not grow weary in bearing beautiful fruit what Peter calls the the peaceful fruits of righteousness. And in that process, never growing self-righteous or self-important in that pursuit, because we remember the phrase, we were once foolish and we still act foolish. We still always need the mercy of God. Friends, I want you to think back on that question I introduced at the beginning. What are those areas of your life where you would picture a restorer character coming in and saying, all right, we got a mess here. What relationship is that in your life? What patterns of life and speech and conduct is that in your life? Because here's the thing, the the God who we serve is a restorer who doesn't come in and slap us on the hand and shame us, but who comes in with goodness and loving kindness. How can you open up that area of your life to the work of the Spirit and to your community of Jesus followers. How can you seek the renewal of the Spirit every day? As you breathe throughout the day, as you pray throughout the day, I want you to pray, Holy Spirit, cultivate your fruit. In my life. Cultivate your fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self control cultivated in my life. Also, where do you need to be participating with the Holy Spirit in the renewal of creation? How can you participate with the Spirit to create beauty out of the mess somewhere? Pentecost tells us that we serve a God who is a restorer, who restored us in Jesus Christ, and by the work, the applying powerful work of the Holy Spirit, we serve a God who saw your mess and didn't throw you away but who washed you, regenerated you, renewed you. We serve a God who isn't done with you and I yet. We serve a God who isn't done with the church yet, who isn't done with creation. All things shall be made new. Friends, may the Lord bless you with awareness of that truth on this day of Pentecost. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.